بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على عبد الله ورسوله نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد So this is the last subject in module 4 of the essentials And I don't know, but it is very possible that this will be the last subject that I will teach in the essentials. At the moment, it's not clear whether I will be here with Kalima after Ramadan, but uh, yani it's, quite, yani it's quite possible that this might be the last, uh, the last subject that I, um, I teach for the essentials, and it may be possible that I will continue Allah knows best. But I think it's important to mention that from the point of any, what do they call it? Shafafiyya, yani transparency. From the point of being transparent, so that if I'm not here after Ramadan, nobody says, you didn't tell me, how can you say that, how could you just disappear and leave us, and so on. Yani this has been planned for over a year, that I would uh, step away from working full-time with Kalima uh, this Ramadan. Uh, and at the moment, the plan is continuing. Uh, I know of no reason why it will not go ahead. But it isn't confirmed. So it is possible that in the end, it will be changed and I will stay uh, for some reason. I am planning to stay in Dubai if Allah makes it easy. But I will not be, as far as I know, I will not be here full-time with Kalima. And I don't know, but I see it seems to be the case that I will not be teaching the essentials after this subject. So this might be the last four weeks you have to suffer of me. Alhamdulillah for any Allah will bring you uh, will bring you someone better. ta'ala. Now, the one that or the topic that I want to begin with, because we're going to start with Kitabul Bayar, the book of transactions or the book of buying and selling, the book of trade. We need to understand the way that the scholars of fiqh divide their books. Now, bear in mind that every madhab has certain differences in how they divide their books. Uh, and there are books written on how the scholars divide their books. I mean, there are books written about how the scholars write books. Broadly, all of the books of fiqh are divided into two major categories. Al-ibadat, acts of worship, and al-mu'amalat, transactions. However, there are books which have as many as five or even six divisions in the book. Broadly, they are ibadat, and mu'amalat so ibadat and mu'amalat acts of worship 
and transactions. However, since all of this is on the topic of Islam, we might ask ourselves, are they not all acts of worship? Or what is the difference between an act of worship and a transaction? And if transactions are transactions, why is it that in some books, for example, jihad or hudud, punishments, are mentioned in the category of transactions? Because surely jihad should be in the category of ibadat, acts of worship. So we want to try to clarify these issues uh, for you today before we start, because I think this is probably one of the most important uh, areas of general understanding that you can get. So first of all, what is the difference between an ibadah and a mu'amala, between an act of worship and between a, a transaction? The first thing is that an ibadah is between you and Allah and a transaction is usually between two people. So an ibadah is something between you and Allah. you look at salah, it's between you and Allah. Charity is between you and Allah. Even if there is a person who takes that charity from you. But broadly, it's, I mean, the act of giving that charity is between you and Allah. The only thing you need for the person is to make sure it's the right person you're giving it to. But it's not like they have to interact with you. It's between you and Allah. Fasting is between you and Allah. Hajj is between you and Allah. What about nikah? No, nikah is between two people. The focus is on two human beings interacting with one another and not on your interaction with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is one thing. The second thing is that al-asl fil-ibadat al-ibaha al-asl fil-ibadat al-tahrim that the original principle or the fundamental founding principle of worship is that it is haram. And all worship is haram unless you have an evidence to make it halal. Taib, what about business? All business is halal unless you have an evidence to make it haram. So all prayers, every kind of prayer is haram. Except if you have an evidence to make it halal. So somebody says, why can't I pray yani, dhuhr eight raka'at? Why do I have to pray four? We say, al-aslu fil-ibadat al-tahrim. That ibadat the fundamental principle in them is that they are all haram except what we have an evidence to make it halal. And that is why we have such a thing as bid'ah. Yani someone who does an act of worship that is not, that does not have an evidence for it. Does not have a precedent for it. As for when it comes to buying 
and selling and renting and all of these kind of transactional issues the basic principle is that it is halal unless you have an evidence to make it haram is that true in everything? No, because we're going to come to some of the scholars who that is the reason why they don't put nikah in the, in the topic of mu'amalat. They don't put marriage in that topic because they said it's not like that. But generally as an idea, when it comes to mu'amalat, in most of the things you will study in transactions, the issue is, is proving what is haram, not proving what is halal. And in most of the issues you study in ibadat, the issue will be proving something is halal, not proving that something is haram. Does that mean that there is nothing mentioned in ibadat that is haram? No, there are, there are salah, this is, it's haram to do this in salah, it's haram to do this in zakah. But basically what you are doing is you are learning what you're supposed to do. In mu'amalat you are learning what you're not supposed to do. That is the primary difference. Yani. The major focus is on what you are not supposed to do. Because in the first place, all buying and selling is allowed. You want to buy and sell bananas, you can. You want to buy and sell mangoes, you can. You want to buy and sell oranges, you can. You want to buy and sell apples, you can. There is no buying and selling is halal. But we're going to learn certain things that are not allowed or certain things that you must do in that category. So, slight uh, any difference there. That's not an absolute difference. We have to be careful with that. It doesn't apply to all of the mu'amalat. But the general focus is going to change. Because now, what you're going to see is there are so many rules in prayer. But the rules in buying and selling are very small. That's because everything you do in prayer needs an evidence. But not everything you do in buying and selling needs an evidence. Since buying and selling generally is halal. Allah has made buying and selling halal and made riba haram. Allah has made buying and selling halal and made riba haram. Okay. So in general, buying and selling is Permissible. So we need less in the way of evidence. We need less in the way of rules and regulations. We just need to know what we are not allowed to do. The second or the third, the third I think, difference that we're dealing with between the ibadat and the mu'amalat, the acts of worship and the transactional uh, rules, are that the aim in the act of worship is to come near to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala yani the, the aim in the act of worship is to come near to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala At-taqarrub ila Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Why do you pray? You pray in order to become near to Allah Azza wa Jal. To gain the reward of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. However, in transactions, in transactions, your aim is generally to achieve a dunya-based objective. In the mu'amalat, 
your aim is to achieve a dunya-based objective in a way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is pleased with. You see the difference here. In the ibadat, your aim is purely at taqarrub ilallah, to get near to Allah. There is no dunya-based objective at all. Zero. And is there any dunya-based objective in fasting? Not only what happens as a Yani, as a consequence, like you might get a bit healthy, you might, you know, like control your diabetes or something, but it's not, that is not the, even, that is not even in the first ten reasons why you fast. Yani. So the primary goal behind fasting and behind prayer, everything is about getting near to Allah and what you're going to get in the akhirah. Whereas in the mu'amalat, your aim is to achieve something in the dunya. Which will please Allah. So I want to, to get money, but I want to get money in a way that pleases Allah. I want to get married, but I want to get married in a way that pleases Allah. I want to, uh, yani, to uh, get my rights back from somebody, but I want to get those rights back from somebody in a way that pleases Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the fourth difference is that the basic principle of the ibadat the acts of worship is that their reasons are not understood the reasons for them are not understood and wallahi ikhwan this is very very beneficial al aslu fil ibadat annaha ghayr ma'qulat al ma'na the basic fundamental principle of ibadat is that the reason for them is not understood. Now you may say, hold on a second, Muhammad Tim, wait, hold up a minute. We know the reason why, for example, we fast in order to show gratitude to Allah. We say yes. That does not mean that you do not know some of the benefits. However, fasting is not based upon gratitude versus a lack of gratitude. Meaning if you fast, but fast makes you, fasting makes you less grateful, should you stop fasting or not? But hold on a second, we said one of the reasons for fasting is that you are grateful. But the ibadah of fasting is not based upon your gratitude. Meaning you do not fast or not fast based on whether you are grateful or not grateful. One of the purposes of fasting is getting nearer to Allah. Okay, when I fast I get grumpy, I get further away from Allah. Should I stop fasting? No. Whether you get nearer to Allah or you don't, you have to fast. Therefore, knowing some of the reasons why we do an act of worship does not affect that act of worship. Yani there is no element of that act of worship which relates to the reason why we do it. The reason this is important, and this is sometimes called ibadah mahda, pure ibadah. Ibadah mahda, yani ibadah that has no dunya element to it at all. Yani ibadah, yani ibadah mahda, yani it has no dunya based element to it at all. Is that the asal is it's غير معقولة المعنى You do not know the reason why you do it 
The only reason you do it is because Allah commanded you to do it and Allah prohibited you from doing this and that. Let me give you an example of that. Wudu. You are making wudu. You washed your hands, your mouth, your nose, your face, your arms, you wiped over your hair, you washed your feet. Okay. At that point, Akramakumullah, somebody breaks wind. What do you do? You start washing your hands, your nose, your mouth, your face, your arms, you wipe over your head and your ears and you wash your feet. Hold on a second. The area that the impurity came from, you don't wash it. And the area that you've already just washed, you wash again. That is غير معقول المعنى That cannot be understood. There is no physical dunya justification for washing your face again after you break wind. There is no dunya reason for it. You cannot come up with a valid dunya-based reason, scientific reason why you wash your face after breaking wind. There is no connection to the two at all. It is غير معقولة المعنى You do not know the reason you do it Except that you do it to come near to Allah That is why you do it You do it to get, because Allah commanded you to do it Does that mean that we can't find some benefits behind it? No, we can say Maybe like this, maybe like this But they, these ibadat are not They are not rational They are not rational that doesn't mean they go against the intellect. That doesn't mean that they are foolish. They are incredibly reasoned and incredibly uh, beneficial and incredibly sensible. However, they do not have worldly understandable uh, yani, that you can justify and you can rationalize and you can break down to a physical atoms and molecules and A1 plus 1 equals 2. It doesn't work like that. Ibadah in its essence is something which is not understood. Why do you pray? Why do you pray dhuhr four raka'at? Why do you make seven times tawaf? Why not eight times? Why not six times? What is wrong with seven? What in the world is going to change if you made seven instead of if you made six instead of seven or you made eight instead of seven? Why is there any difference between that? The answer is Allah told me to do seven, so I do seven. And many Muslims don't understand this because they come and say, Wallah, Brother Tim, I can't understand. Wallah, I can't understand. Why is it seven times tawaf? Why can we not do six? Is it seven because there are seven heavens and seven earths? La, it is seven because Allah told you it is seven. Full stop, end of story. That is ibadah. That is what it means to worship Allah. To do things that you do not understand because your Lord commanded you to do them. That is ibad. That is the essence of ibad. Now look at the mu'amalat. They are completely different. The general rule of the mu'amalat is that they are ma'qulatul ma'na. You can understand exactly why they are being done. And more than that, more than that, it's not just that you can understand why they are being done, but the ruling of them depends on that understanding. In other words, like we said, if you fast and you become ungrateful, you still fast. But if there's a trade and the goods don't go from one person to the other in a way that 
benefits and a way that doesn't cause harm, there is no there is no sale. The sale is invalid. If there is a marriage that harms one of the two partners, the marriage cannot be done. So the ruling of the mu'amalat is that the causes for them, the ilal, the reasons they exist, affect them. Whereas the reason that we pray doesn't affect us praying. We pray to gain khushu'ah, we pray to gain a connection with Allah, we pray in order to space our dunya with our deen. Okay, but when I pray, I don't feel khushu'ah. Still you have to pray. It doesn't matter if you feel khushu'ah, you don't feel khushu'ah, you have to pray. As for buying and selling, it doesn't work like that. The causes and the rulings and the, and the, and the situation depends on the outcome. Depends on the reason why it was done. Depends on the purpose for which it was legislated. So if I engage in a transaction which is not riba, but the reality of it is produces the same effect, it, it takes the same ruling. So in mu'amalat, we're going to look at why was it legislated and why was it not legislated and what is the effect of it and what happens if you do this and what happens if you do that. Whereas ibadat, we don't give any consideration to this. We pray five times a day whether it gives us khushu' or it doesn't give us khushu'. We pray five times a day whether it brings us nearer to Allah or whether we don't feel it's bringing us nearer to Allah. We know some of the reasons why we do acts of worship but those reasons do not affect the ruling. They don't change it from halal to haram or haram to halal or wajib to, to mustahab or mustahab to wajib. None of the rulings change because of the reasons why the act of worship was legislated. As for the mu'amalat, it does change. Things can change because of the causes, the reasons, the purposes behind the legislation And that means that Allah Azza wa Jal has explained the reasons behind the rulings in the mu'amalat more than he has explained the, reeling, the reasons behind the rulings in the ibadat. And if you look at the issues of Allah Azza wa Jal explaining why certain trade is allowed and why certain trade is not allowed, the, re- the reasons and the justifications are more than in the topic of acts of worship. The final difference that I want to mention to you today is the issue of knowing what you are doing. In the ibadat, it is a condition that you are completely aware of what you are doing. You cannot start praying without knowing that Allah has commanded you to pray and knowing uh, what, uh, yani, know, knowing what you are doing and knowing how to do it. Do we say the same condition is required for buying a bar of chocolate from the biqala? Then you have to know that Allah has commanded you that you are, you are allowed to exchange money and you are allowed to take it. Otherwise you have to go and return it and say, I'm sorry, I didn't know that it was allowed to exchange money for this product and so on. In ibadat, you have to know the, you have to be aware 
it's a precondition that you are aware of the ibadah and you are aware that Allah has commanded you to do it. As for the mu'amalat, they are valid even if you are not aware in general, again, in general, they are valid even if you are not necessarily aware that Allah Azza wa commanded you to do it. Let me give you a nice example of that. The nikah of the kuffar. The wedding or the, 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 the marriage of the disbelievers. Two disbelievers marry each other. On Friday the man becomes Muslim and on Saturday the woman becomes Muslim. Is the nikah valid? Yes. Do we ask them to repeat the nikah in Islam? No. But they did not have niyyah. When they got their nikah done, they did not know what they were doing. They did not know that nikah was commanded by Allah Azza wa Jal. They did not know that zina was haram. And so on. Because they were not Muslim at that time. But their nikah is still valid in Islam. Therefore the condition of knowing that it is commanded by Allah and being aware of its details and the rulings around it is, is less in the issue of mu'amalat than it is in the issue of ibadat, in the issue of worship. In the, in the prayer, in things like that, you can't just say, I started praying this prayer and I have no idea if Islam commands it or doesn't command it. However, in the mu'amalat, it may be a recommendation, it may even be an obligation. But the mu'amala does not become invalid. This is the key point. So it may be an obligation. You say, Muhammad Tim, how can I possibly go and buy something from the biqala if I don't know if it's halal or haram? We say, no, you have to know if it's halal or haram. But if you didn't know if it was halal or haram and you bought it, it's still a valid transaction it's still a valid transaction as opposed to the ibadat in which case the ibadah is invalid if you did not know that that ibadah was commanded by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and have the correct niyyah and be in a state where you knew what you were doing and you knew the preconditions and you fulfilled them then that ibadah may well or may often become invalid so these are some of the differences between the ibadat and the mu'amalat However, as you can see, this is a pretty vague definition. And the reason it's pretty vague is there are elements of nikah that don't match all of those five differences. I gave you five, you know, five sort of differences between worship and transactions. I gave you five differences between worship, worship and transactions. However, there are elements of nikah that don't quite match that. There are elements of, for example, what do you talk about punishments? Punishments are something between two people in the sense that the judge carries out the punishment upon the person, but it's something which you cannot do without, a, yani without the niyyah and the knowledge of the action before you do it. So how it's not quite, I mean, it's very imprecise and maybe some of you at the moment are thinking I didn't really understand that and that's intended. What it's intended is that in fact this, this, this distinction between ibadat and mu'amalat is not so clear. Ibadat are fine. Nobody disagrees that salah and fasting and zakah and hajj and whatever 
nobody disagrees that they are all they they, they can they are all yani, similar to one another. But actually, some of the scholars said, to be honest, nikah is not similar to to, to trade. It's similar in a certain sense, in the sense that it is a transaction between two people. But it's not the same in the sense that it requires some of the things that we said transactions do not require. Likewise, punishments are not quite the same. There are two ways of looking at this. One is to say that we don't need every single one of those five things to be present. We just need a general difference. Like just generally, nikah is between two people, so we put it in the second half. And even if it's not exactly, it doesn't follow all of those rules. And generally, you know, punishments are something that should come after we talk about things like nikah. Because how can we talk about the punishment for zina if we haven't talked about the ruling of nikah? And how can we possibly tell people about the rulings of the punishment for zina? If we haven't told them the rulings of nikah So it makes sense to put it afterwards And they say the punishment for zina Is not really from the point of mu'amalat But we put it in that category Because that's where it's easier That's where it most belongs It belongs to be You know it belongs in that part Other of the scholars said no We don't do that They said actually we divide the book Into more than two categories And in general it's the Hanabila in general Divided into Four or even five categories The first is Ibadat, acts of worship The second is Mu'amalat, transactions And by Mu'amalat they mean Transactions only Only transactions So in Mu'amalat they would have Buying and selling, riba, loans, mortgages, uh, guarantees, uh, partnerships, uh, what do you call it when you act on behalf of someone else where the judge forbids you from doing something, the judge says to you, you can't do this, but somebody else has to act upon your behalf, where the judge transfers your... Um, yeah, your, your power, like power of attorney and things like that. Uh, partnerships, renting, um, gifts, uh, wasaya, yani things that are things that are um, and and fara'id, yani inheritance. That's all they put under it. The third category is they have nikah. So they say, look, I'm sorry, you guys putting nikah along with transactions is not the same thing. Nikah is a different thing. It has it's not, uh, it's first of all much more serious than a simple transaction and it has different rules and regulations and it doesn't match all of those five things that we said are the differences between ibadat and mu'amalat. So they said, no, we put nikah in a separate third category. So the Hanabila, they said, first of all, we start with ibadat, worship, or, or pure worship. Then we went on to Transactions and trade Then we go on to nikah uh, Which would you know, include all of the issues of nikah Walima, khula' talaq 
Zihar, Li'an, all of those things where you know someone says to his wife, you are like my mother's back and you know all of these the issues of separation and sulh and all of that stuff and what you have to spend upon your family. The fourth category is Al-Jinayat. Crimes. Crimes and punishments. And so basically, they will talk about crime and punishment. They said you cannot put crime and punishment in the same topic as transactions. And the reason we have crime and punishment here is because it makes sense to deal with crime and punishment after you have told people what they are allowed to do. So in this you would have al-qisas, retribution, and you would have the kafara of qatl, of killing somebody, and the hudud, and the, 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 the different punishments for things. Uh, and you would have uh, issues of broken oaths and things like that. And then some of them add a fifth uh, category, and that is the issues which relate to judging and uh, yani the, the chapter which relates to judging and giving fatawa. So these are the issues that relate to judgments and giving fatawa, like for the judge. What do you do if someone takes an oath? How do you judge the correction of an oath? How do you judge who is a valid witness and who is not a valid witness and so on? With regard to the uh, the madahib in general, as we said, the vast majority of the fuqaha just divided it into two, ibadat and mu'amalat. Whatever they put into mu'amalat that doesn't belong there, they said we put it there because it's better off there than it is in ibadat. Even though itself it might be an ibadat. So the biggest one that is the biggest question is kitab al-jihad. Kitab al-jihad. There is no doubt, no doubt at all that jihad belongs in ibadat. However, they said that when jihad resembles a punishment... And it has dunya-based objectives as well as religious objectives. And it has rulings which are dunya-based like getting the spoils of war and slavery and so on. Then it makes sense to put it in mu'amalat even though it is an ibadah. It is a pure ibadah. Ibadah mahba. It's a pure ibadah. Others of the scholars said no. We put it in ibadat after hajj because... The Prophet ﷺ almost made it, uh, yani it is almost like it is a sixth pillar of Islam. And there are five pillars of Islam, but if there were to be a sixth pillar of Islam, it would have been al-jihad fi sabilillah. So we put it into ibadat. And that is why you find in fiqh different, you find kitab al-jihad sometimes in ibadat and sometimes in mu'amalat, depending on which area they look at. The scholar who looks at it from the point of view that it is an ibadah, which is purely for the sake of Allah, which is intended to get near to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and is yani, mentioned so many times in the Qur'an, they put it into ibadat. Those who said, no, it has a dunya-based objective. And it involves, you know, an, 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 
an event between different people, between two people. And it is something which has many dunya-based things related to it, like spoils of war and slavery and things like that. And those of them who said that it is ma'kool al-ma'na, yani the meaning of it is understood. The meaning of it is to make the word of Allah the highest and the word of those who disbelieve the lowest. And wherever that happens, it is permissible. And wherever that doesn't happen, it is impermissible. Because bear in mind that jihad is impermissible if it does not make the word of Allah the highest and those who, the word of those who disbelieve the lowest and so on and so forth. So they said no, it is more deserving of putting into mu'amalat. And some of them said it's similar to a had, it's similar to a uh, the hudud, yani the punishments in Islam. Jade. So we said that you might find it here and you might find it there depending on how the scholars look at it. Some of the fuqaha start mu'amalat with nikah. Some of them put nikah after transactions. Because they said that nikah is not the same. Some of them said nikah is after ibadat because it's kind of, and it has an, ibad, an element of, of ibadat in it and an element of mu'amalat in it. So we put it in the middle. And some of them said, no, we put it afterwards because it's not part of that. So you will see differences among the scholars in these issues. As for some of the Hanafiyyah, they divided it into three. So we said the majority divided it into two broadly. Broadly into two. Ibadat and Mu'amalat. The sh- some of the Hanafiyyah divided it into three. Ibadat and Mu'amalat and Uqubat. So ibadat are acts of worship, mu'amalat are transactions, and they included nikah. They included nikah. And uqubat are punishments. And this is a very good division, to be honest. This division of some of the Hanafiyyah is an excellent division, yani. Like they put ibadat and he puts jihad with the ibadat. Yani he said ibadat is as-salat wal-zakah wal-sawm wal-hajj wal-jihad. And mu'amalat, he said, it is al-mu'amalat al-maliyyah. Yani like buying and selling and renting and all of that. And it is marriage and also yani disputes between people. You know things like this guy took my land, this guy took my whatever. But the third category is uqubat, yani punishments. So these, the, the, this group of the Hanafis, they divided it into worship, transactions and punishments. Worship, transactions and punishments. And then there is a, a four-way breakup which is found among the Shafi'iyah. And they said 
and, and their one is simply to take nikah out of transactions yani. So they have four ibadat, acts of worship And then they had transactions and nikah and punishments Transactions, nikah and punishments And as we said, some of the Hanabila went further than that to the point that they divided it into five, as we said. And the reason for that is that some of them copied the division of the Shafi'iyah. Yani this actual, the Hanabila dividing it into five, this originally comes from, uh, I think it is Al-Khirqi, who was the, the first one to write a... A, the first one to write a text in the fiqh of Imam Ahmed he took his ordering from the Shafi'iyah yani. he, because I mean he, this is the last madhab and he's the first one to write a text on it he took the ordering from the Shafi'iyah and that is why generally the Hanabila after them followed the Shafi'i uh, division of four or even five uh, different issues yani. The fifth one was the issue of judging how to judge and who is a witness and things like that. But generally, they followed the four. So we've understood, you can break it into two, you can break it into three, you can break it into four. Broadly, two is the majority. And that is to break it into ibadat and mu'amalat, except that you may put some of the ibadat in the section of mu'amalat because they are more important, they make more sense to put them there. The second is to break it into ibadat, acts of worship, mu'amalat, transactions, and uqubat, punishments. Because they say that punishment is not, is not a transaction. It's not like, can you please whip me 80 times? I've come here to, to get whipped. Can you please whip me 80 times? Yani. It's not a transaction. Yani. And it's a command from Allah which does not have any ijtihad in it. Yani. There is no option for someone to come and say, Oh, I think I should whip you this time 85 times. Yani. There is, there is ta'zir, there is the, the, the right of the judge to choose a fitting punishment. But the hudud, the fixed punishments from Allah, do not have an option for him to say, Oh, you drank alcohol the th- you know, once, I'm going to do XYZ to you. Yani. Like, it's a fixed punishment. Zina is a fixed punishment. So they said, no, we have to take the fixed punishments out of transactions and make it a third category. The reason we put it at the end is there is no point in punishing you for zina before we told you what nikah is. And the fourth is to take nikah out of transactions because nikah is different uh, from the issue of transactions It doesn't follow I mean when you define transactions As a basic idea It's the exchange of something uh, For something uh, And so yes marriage Looks Marriage could be seen in that way But also it has elements of it Which are not uh, Primarily any the issue That ma- you cannot do marriage The way that you want You cannot say all marriage is halal Except for What Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has any Made haram any rather Marriage is something which is uh, prohibited except the specific kind of marriage which Islam allowed. So there are some, I mean, there are some nuances in this. Of course, the book that we have here is going to follow Akhsar Muhtasarat 
is going to follow the madhab of Imam Ahmed and so he includes al-jihad after hajj and we finished from ibadat last term and now he's going to talk about the issue of bay'ah business transactions buying and selling so we only have a couple of minutes so i'm not going to start in any major way i'm just going to define what is meant by al-bay'ah and what is not meant by al-bay'ah So al-bay' is defined as bay' being, being buying, selling, trade yani is defined as the exchange of malin bi mal. Okay, the meaning of mal, and this is important here. When we say it's, you know, someone might translate this as the, the exchange of money for money, but that's not true. The word mal here in, in the, this topic is a particular terminology. It does not mean money. It means something which belongs to you. Um, how can we, what can we find as a good, uh, a possession maybe. That is a better, a better way. The exchange of a possession for a possession or a benefit. The exchange of a possession for a possession or a benefit. Because you may not exchange a physical possession. Like for example, when you pay someone to do consultancy for you. And he come and give me advice. I'm going to pay you for your advice. His advice is not mal. It's not something which is, it's not something which is, and you can physically hold it and you can measure it. But it's a service, so it's a manfa'ah. So it's the exchange of a possession for a possession or a benefit. Any, an exchange for a possession for a possession or an exchange of a possession for a benefit. In a permanent way. Why do they say in a permanent way? Ala ta'abid. Because to, to exclude ijara, to exclude renting and you know similar things. It is a permanent exchange of a, maybe this is a better way of putting it, it's a permanent exchange of a possession for a possession or a benefit. And there are, you know, you can pick like any definition, you can pick holes in it. You can say, what, does it include this, does it include that? What kind of possession? And generally the possession is often on one side, money. And when we say mal, we generally think of money. But it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be money. But there, in that, the scholars exclude usually two uh, things from al-bayr. Generally, they exclude two things from al-bayr. They exclude bartering bartering as in where you have a bucket of wheat and I have a bucket of dates and we basically yani swap one bucket we call it al-mu'ata al-mu'ata yani you give me I give you you give me I give you 
and you give me a bucket of dates, I give you a bucket of wheat. It comes under al-bay'ah, but it comes under a separate chapter. It comes under a separate chapter called al-mu'ata, which is where I give you a bucket of dates, you give me a bucket of wheat. Yani we have like an agreement, like 10 kilos of wheat for 5 kilos of dates. We have a, you know, we're, excha- we're exchanging goods rather than exchanging goods for money. And the second thing that we exclude and put in a separate chapter is al-musarafa, which is currency exchange. Exchanging gold for gold or dollars for pounds, that has its own chapter as well. They all come under al-bay'ah, they all come under buying and selling, but the buying and selling that we're going to talk about next week is going to exclude al-mu'ata, which is the, you know, like the, the kind of... Uh, bartering or exchange market where you exchange your goods for their goods and it's going to exclude currency for currency exchanging gold for silver or gold for gold or gold for money or dollars to pounds that is called musarafa that has its own chapter we're going to deal with the the bay that we're going to deal with right now is exchanging a product or a service for money that is what we're going to cover in the next class. Exchanging a product or service for some kind of, some sort of money. As opposed to saying a product for a product. Like, you know, like you give me dates and I'll give you wheat. And, and not you give me gold and I'll give you, yani, you give me dollars and I'll give you pounds. Yeah. That has its own chapter and its own rules. Okay, so that is what we're going to deal with. Uh, Insha'Allah ta'ala next uh, next lesson so hopefully that has given you a bit of an overview of how fiqh is structured and uh, the different things and where you would expect to find them and why sometimes you might get confused as to why is this act of worship mentioned in the middle of an issue relating to transactions or why are punishments in the second half and not in the first half and stuff like that and what are some of the differences between Broadly between acts of worship and between transactions Even if they don't apply to every single case So hopefully this has just explained a little bit of an introduction for you And inshallah ta'ala we have a couple of announcements to make One of them is that next Friday we will be having a Next Friday we'll be having a, uh, a seminar by Sheikh uh, Tahir Wyatt He's coming inshallah ta'ala to deliver a seminar. Uh, you can register for that on Kelima's website. And if you want to uh, pay for it today, I believe you can see Abdurrahman today. He will be outside of the masjid with his receipt book so that you can pay for that seminar if you have registered or if you want to register now, you can register and you can pay for it, inshallah. Uh, also, I don't know, did we have another announcement? Was there to give me a list and I forgot them? Anyways, inshallah. That for now will do, bi ithni ta'ala, and Allah Azza wa Jalla knows best, wa salatu wa salam ala bin Muhammad wa ala ali wa sahbihi ajma'in.